Daniel chapter 8. Let's pray before we read the passage. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, we ask for insight and understanding. This passage that we'll read today, God, may Your Holy Spirit just open our hearts and minds and give us understanding, but also show us how we can apply these things to our life. God, we know that, that all Scripture is inspired by You. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training that Your people might be complete and equipped for every good work. So God, teach us what You would have us to learn that we might be equipped for every good work. Not that we can boast, but that the name of Christ may be lifted up by our lives, our actions, the things that we do and say. God, just teach us more of who You are. May we learn of Your care and concern your redemptive plan for all mankind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes, and I saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him. There was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and he struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular barn offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it 
together with the burnt offerings because of the transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolation, and the giving over of the sanctuary, and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful place. When, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. Daniel has another vision. He gives us the context or the, a, a dating of, of this vision. He said it's after the first one. What is the first one that he had? Well, that was chapter 7. Chapter 7 began uh, with Daniel recording the vision he had in chapter 7 in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now in the third year of Belshazzar, another vision appears to him. Belshazzar, you recall, is the last king of Babylon. He is co-regent with his father Nabonidus. We, we met him back in chapter 5. Pop quiz, when, was, when did chapter 5 occur? It was the last day of the Babylonian Empire. Remember Belshazzar throwing this great party and that's an understatement. It's a, probably a, just a, a drunken party even worse than that. And he sees the handwriting on the wall and none of his magicians or wise men can, can tell him what this handwriting means. And finally his mother comes in, the queen mother comes in and says, well, there's one in the kingdom who knows how to interpret dream or visions, who knows how to, who, who can find this interpretation. And they bring in Daniel and he tells him, you've been, you've been weighed and found wanting. And that very night, the Medes and the Persians come in and, and, and conquer Babylon. Belshazzar's killed. So, it's about 12 years before the events of chapter 5. If you're chronicling all of the things or putting them in order, then chapter 8 comes between chapter 4 and chapter 5. But after chapter 7. Okay, I know you're with me. So Daniel has this other vision. Belshazzar is still king. So it's important to remember, this is about 551, maybe 548 B.C., a, dec a decade or more before the Medes and Persians come in. We, we met Darius, the Mede, back in chapter 6 when Daniel was was cast into the lion's den. So before that happened, before uh, there was any indication that Babylon is going to fall, other than Daniel knows in, a, in the long term it's going to fall, Daniel has this other vision. He's in Susa. Well, what's the significance of that? 
Susa becomes, called the citadel, the capital, one of the capitals, one of the main cities. Susa becomes one of the main cities in the, in, in the Median and Persian Empire. Over a decade later than when Daniel's seeing this vision. At the time, it's not, uh, uh, the Median Persian Empire is not a, a, an empire. It's, they're, they're still under the subjection of Babylon. And Daniel has this vision, and it's as if he's having this vision from the perspective of being in Susa. Was he somehow transported there? I mean, he could have been, or he may have just been seeing this vision from the vantage point of as if he were in Susa. I would go with that. I think Daniel's probably been to Susa as Nebuchadnezzar's emissary or Belshazzar. Belshazzar's emissary, and maybe giving Belshazzar too much credit, but that, that Daniel is apparently familiar with Susa. He said he's standing by the Ula Canal, and he, he, he raised his eyes. So if all of a sudden you're in a vision, and you're looking around, it's like, this is Susa. Here's the Ula Canal. And then, so what are you going to do? Well, you're going to raise your eyes. You're going to start looking around. And as he's looking around, he sees this ram on the bank of the canal. The Ulai Canal is a man-made canal, was a man-made canal that connected two rivers there in, in Susa. So Daniel's standing there. He starts looking around, and he sees this ram standing over on the bank. It's got two horns. They're both tall or high, but one's taller than the other one. Somehow he knows that the taller of the two came up after the shorter of the two. Then the ram begins charging westward and northward and southward. The ram's charging all around and, and nobody can stand before it. The ram, nobody can rescue anyone from the ram's power. Verse, into verse 4, he said, He did as he pleased and he became great. So this Daniel's in Susa. Belshazzar, the Babylonian Empire, is still thriving. But Daniel finds himself in Susa in this vision, and he sees this ram, and all of a sudden that ram is charging every direction, and nobody can stop him. He becomes great. Just when he thought everything was okay, well, maybe he didn't think everything was okay, but he's, he's seen the ram. Verse 5, he's considering it. He's thinking about it. What's going on with this ram, and what does this ram mean? And, and nobody can stop this ram. All of a sudden, a male goat appears from the west. He comes across the ground but he's not touching the ground. He's, he's moving fast. Not even touching the ground. He's flying across the ground. And this goat is even more different than all the other goats Daniel's seen in his life. He's got a horn between his eyes. Verse 5 says it's a conspicuous horn. Any goat you see with one horn between his eyes, 
I'm going to consider that a conspicuous horn. Daniel sees this weird looking goat, one horn right between his eyes, and he's just, he's moving, but he's not touching the ground. He's flying across the ground, which would just indicate the speed at which he came. He comes to the ram, that same ram in the first four verses, that had the two great horns. That was that ram was great and powerful. Did whatever he wanted. The goat comes up to the ram, and he ran into him. In his wrath, he's enraged against the ram. What did the ram do to make the goat mad? Or is the goat just doesn't like rams? He runs into him. Says that he strikes the rams and he the ram and he breaks off his two horns. This ram has no power. The ram that had more power, no one could stand against him. He 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 did what he wanted. He was great. All of a sudden, this goat appears from the west, flying across the ground. He's got one big horn in the middle of his eyes, and he crashes into the ram knocks him down, and then he tramples on him. The end of verse 7 is that no one could rescue the ram from the goat. Verse 8, then the goat became exceedingly great. So now the goat is great, and the ram is dead. But when the goat became strong, this goat with one horn, that great horn was broken off. So this is perplexing. You see a ram with these two horns, one's bigger than the other, it came up second. He's strong, he's crashing into everything, too powerful, nobody can stand against him. You're standing there pondering all that and all of a sudden a goat comes from the west crashes into the ram, knocks the ram down, kills the ram, nobody can rescue the ram, the goat becomes exceedingly great, but when he becomes strong and great and has achieved much, that horn is broken off. Verse 8 continues, instead of it came four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of the horn not the horn, toward the four winds of heaven. I can really read. So Daniel's standing there in Susa. Babylon is in control. Even the ancient zodiac indicated, not that Daniel is this uh, astrologer, or one that worshiped the stars. But in the ancient world, Aries represented a, a realm which represented Persia. Capricorn was a goat that represented Greece. So is Daniel thinking about that? Can't really tell, maybe not. But he's he's Daniel has already had the vision in chapter 7 of the four beasts. He's interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream there in chapter 2 of this statue with the, with the four 
types of metal. Now he's got this new vision. This goat has charged the ram, destroyed the ram, became ultimately strong, but then that horn was broken off and four horns, four conspicuous horns. I suppose four horns on a goat are as conspicuous as one horn, especially if that one horn is right in the middle of the goat's head. Okay, verse 9. Out of one of them, one of the four that grew up after the one was broken off, a little horn grew up, and it came exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Okay, just so you know, the glorious land in verse 9, it's, it's not Texas. Okay, we'll get into it later, but it's not Texas. Okay, it grew great even to the host of heaven. Some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as the prince of the host, even as great as the prince of the host. So Daniel sees the ram, he sees the goat, the, go the goat destroys the ram. All of a sudden this one horn's broken off, then four horns come up. Out of one of them, a little horn comes up. It becomes great. It begins moving toward the south and the east and the glorious land. It, it grew great even to the host of heaven. As he's seeing all this, skip down to verse 13, he said, Then he heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke. So Daniel hears two angels speaking, and one says, How long is this vision concerning the burnt offering? What vision concerning the burnt offering? We'll go back to verse 12. And a host will be given over it together with the burnt offerings because of the transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. So this goat, well, should have gone to verse 11. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host, and the, burnt the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over it with the burnt offering because of the transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. So Daniel, he's seen enough with just the ram, the goat, and all the action with the different horns to be wondering, what in the world is happening? Why am I seeing this? What does it mean? And then all of a sudden, he learns that the burnt offering is going to be taken away. The sanctuary is going to be overthrown. And as he's, as he's learning this and seeing this, then he hears these two holy ones. I take that to mean two angels talking. Is like, how long is this going to last? In verse 14, one says to Daniel, 2,300 evenings and mornings and then the sanctuary will be restored. So chapter 28 and the, the vision that Daniel records, it's similar to chapter 7. And it, it, it really can be divided easily into two parts. The vision and then the interpretation. 
in, in chapter 7, we saw when after Daniel had seen the vision of those four beasts coming up out of the sea, said his spirit was anxious and the visions alarmed him. Here in chapter 8, it just says that he sought to understand what was, what was happening, what this means. Perhaps the vision that he received in, in two years earlier, maybe he wasn't quite as alarmed, though at the end of chapter 7, his thoughts alarmed him. His color changed. He kept those matters in his heart. Now he's just seeking to, to understand. While he's standing there, he's seen this vision wanting to understand. What does this mean and, and why am I seeing this vision? He said, one stood beside him, before him. And he, and he heard a man's voice call out. And that, that voice called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Daniel's standing there. He's seen this vision. It's not in the city he's living in. He's been transported 200 miles to the east from Babylon to, to Susa. He doesn't understand what this vision means. And then he hears one man's voice call out, Gabriel, make this man understand. Gabriel the angel. So Gabriel comes to him, verse 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to him, to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision for, is for the time of the end. So Daniel is standing there, sees all the vision, hears the voices asking, how long is this going to last? 2,300 mornings, 2,300 evenings. And then he hears someone tell Gabriel to go and make him, make Daniel, understand the vision. He came near to Gabriel comes near to Daniel and what's Daniel's response? Is it surprising? From other accounts that we've read of angels appearing to to people, it's not an it's not uh, surprising. He said he was frightened. He fell on his face. I think angels may look at different differently. I don't think that's the right word. Angels may look different than what sometimes our culture, TV, or movies make them out to be. They make they always scare people. Anyhow. Gabriel tells him, understand, this is a vision for the time of the end. So if you're Daniel, what are you thinking? What do you, what do, you do? What do you say? How do you, how do you react to that? Daniel's seen the vision. 
He seen all this these horns pop up and fall off, be broken off, be replaced. He knows that he's he's heard that the regular burnt offering is going to be taken away. This is going to last for twenty three hundred evenings and mornings. I don't understand. Here comes an angel. He's frightening. I fall on my face. And then he says, understand, this is a vision for the time of the end. So how does Daniel react? What, what would you do? Oh, okay. Well, everything's cool now. I'm, I'm ready to move on. Verse 18. When he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face on the ground. Okay, what does that mean? He fainted. Dan Daniel, boom, just he falls face forward right into the ground. And I am not going to fault Daniel one bit for that kind of reaction. You know, it was frightening enough when he just saw the angel and he fell down. The angel, you know, said, it's okay. It's just a vision for the time of the end. Oh, well, that's easy. Boom, just faint. End of verse 18 is, but he touched me and made me stand. He made him stand. I'm pretty sure that's what would happen to me touched me and then I just stood up on my own two feet. No, Gabriel picks him up, makes him stand up. This is a vision for the end. And we'll have to get into what the end is, but verse 19, he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. That's going to be a clue right there. This is the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. Now in verse 20, he begins to explain what these two visions are. Remember, Daniel's living in about 550 B.C. Babylon is the great empire. They've conquered most of the, the, near, the ancient Near East. They, they are the ruling dominant force. The Medes and Persians aren't going to rise for about 12 more years. Verse 20, As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of the Medes and the Persians. Hmm. Now Daniel knows he's in Susa, but Susa's not the city that it's going to become after the Medes and Persians take over. But, but Gabriel tells Daniel the ram is the Medes and the Persians. And we know from, from history that the, the media empire rose first, was strong. That would be the horn that grew up first. But then the Persian empire grew even greater. So that's the second horn. It came up after the first one. Persia uh, rose up after media and became even stronger and greater. And then they combined their, their, force, their forces, their kingdoms together. Verse 21, the goat is the king of Greece. The great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of, of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation but not with his power. 
and at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of boldface, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. In his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it re refers to many days from now. <clears throat> it refers to many days from now. Daniel's living, having this dream in about 550 B.C. The vision goes all the way to about 164 B.C. So, seal it up. Don't burn it. Don't throw it away. Don't hide it even, but seal it up. Why? For the benefit of, of, of those to come. Who are the ones to come? Daniel's different. from other books of the Bible in that it's written in two languages. The first chapter of Daniel is written in Hebrew, but Daniel chapters 2 through 7 were written in Aramaic. Now in chapter 8, he's gone back to writing in Hebrew. What can we make of that? It seems that, and, and many scholars say that, that Daniel is writing in the language of the most significant group to which he's writing. So in chapter 1, he's writing of, of being taken kept in captivity to Babylon in Hebrew. Who spoke Hebrew? Well, the Hebrews did. Everybody knows. Okay, no, the Jews spoke Hebrew. Israel in this time spoke Hebrew and that chapter 1 was pertaining to was it's not exclusively for them but the main audience he would have been wanting to get his point across first to the Hebrew speakers Aramaic Daniel changed to Aramaic in chapter 2 which was the world language in the ancient Near East at the time the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks don't speak it, but that's a little too far down the road. But, but those living in Babylon would have spoken Aramaic. And so that the, the, when he changes languages, it's for the people that he, he wanted primarily to understand that these that these passages are directed to. So Daniel has has changed back to Hebrew that these events, this vision that he saw 
is for Israel. It, that doesn't mean that we cannot glean many things from it, but that he's 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 really trying to get this message across to Israel. Seal it up. Save this vision because this happens in many days. You know, this isn't going to happen tomorrow or next week. You know, it's 10 or 12 years before Babylon even, even falls. So Daniel's instructed by Gabriel to seal this up because it's going to happen in many days. Well, what was going to happen? Okay, we, we in verse 20, we learned that the ram with the two horns was Media and Persia. Then he hears that the goat is Greece. So for in 550 BC, Greece doesn't become a world power for over 200 years after around 334, 333 BC. This is a great horn, that conspicuous horn. It's the first king of Greece. Okay, so think back to your western sieve. Who was the first king of Greece? Alexander the Great. You're exactly right. Alexander the Great conquered an even greater land mass than Babylon, greater than the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians conquered more than, than Babylon. Then later comes Alexander the Great. This goat with that one conspicuous horn moving quickly across the earth. He's coming toward the ram. He's not even touching the ram. Alexander the Great conquered a, a land mass. One estimate I, I read said 1.5 million square miles from from Macedonia and, and Greece, basically Southeast Europe, all the way to into Afghanistan, Pakistan, and part of India, down through Syria, Israel. That's the glorious land back there in chap in verse nine, um, down to Egypt. That it, Alexander the Great did that in how long? How many years? How many decades? Okay, no, how many years? Three years. He conquers this great land mass. Some say that when he when he completed that, he sat down and cried and said, "There's no there's no one else to conquer." He had made it all the way to the to the Ganges uh, River in in India and fought a great battle. Was ready to cross the river, but his his troops said, "We've had enough. That this last battle we won wasn't easy." And they're even more prepared on the other side. Let's just, let's call it quits. This is enough. We don't need any more land. How are we going to take care of one and a half million square miles of land anyhow? That's the, the, the goat that was moving across the land in, in, in uh, record speed without touching the ground. So that, that horn became great. Alexander the Great conquered 
just just vast territories of land, but then it was broken off. Alexander the Great did all of this by the time he was 33, and then he died. He was he was sad there was no place else to conquer, so he turned to the bottle. Some say he drank himself to death. He died when he was 33 years old, and and what happened? Well, that goat that grew, that had one horn. It was broken off, symbolizing Alexander the, the Great dying, and then four, ho four horns grew, grew up out of his place, four of his generals. He actually had two sons, um, and I'm doing the math, and it's like, okay, I can, okay, he could have biologically had two sons. He was 33, but so how young would these sons have been? Okay, he has one at 16 and 16 years later. I don't know. Let's not speculate too much on that. But that he had two sons, but they couldn't hold this power. So four of Alexander the Great's generals, um, Lysimachus controlled the north, Cassander the western part of his empire, Seleucus the east, which would be Babylon, uh, Persia, and Ptolemy controlled the south, which would be Egypt, which that's going to kind of be important when we get into this little horn. So Alexander the Great had conquered all these. Then he died, and four kingdoms rose up out of his kingdom. They're not as powerful as he is. And then, it, then, then one of those horns is broken off, and another one comes up. He said, His power shall be great. This is the one that the vision is concerned with, that God wants Daniel to seal up. This is going to happen many days, many years from now. And God wants Daniel to seal it up for the saints. He says this horn is going to be great, not by his power. God's going to allow him to, to, raise, to rise up and he's going to succeed in what he does. He's going to destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints, that's the Jews. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. This is That's verse 25. I should have said where I was reading. 24 and 25. In his own mind, he shall become great. You know what they say. He's a legend in his own mind. Without warning, he's going to destroy many. This is after Alexander the Great died in about 331 B.C. and the, and his kingdom was split in in four parts. Ptolemy had Egypt. Seleucus had the the east. Out of that Seleucian Empire came and. Antiochus Epiphanes around 170 BC. He, he was one of the most ruthless anti-Semitic rulers in, in, in all of history. He, he wanted to expand his empire. He's basically got one-fourth that he got by killing his nephew. But he's got one-fourth of Alexander's previous empire. It's called the East, which would include Syria and Iraq, Iran, 
Ptolemy has the south, Egypt. What's in between them? That little strip of land, the glorious land, that little strip, the promised land, Israel, is in between them. Antiochus Epiphanes goes. He's, he's trying to take over Egypt. He, he goes down there. A Roman general comes, and, uh, and Rome is not a power by now, but they're, they're making some noise. And he tells Antiochus, you go away. You can't have this land. Antiochus Epiphanes tells him, well, I need to think about it. Let me go consult my, my advisors. This Roman general, this is kind of where we get a line in the sand, draws a circle around Antiochus. He goes, by the time you get out of that circle, you decide. He's humiliated, disgraced. He goes back to his kingdom there, the east, Syria, and Babylon. On the way, he decides to take out his wrath, his frustration on the Jews. And he moves into Israel. He, he conquers them. He, he kills 40,000 Israelites in about three days. He takes another 10,000 captive. He sets up a, a throne of Zeus in the temple. He goes as far as sacrificing a pig on the altar in, in the temple. He, he gives himself the name Epiphanes, divine manifestation. He, he coins, he, he produces coins that say uh, Antiochus, the God. The Jews called him Epimanus, meaning madman. He, he is a, a crazy madman. He bans circumcision. He bans and burns scriptures. He bans all of the sacrifices. This vision is showing Daniel the bad things that are going to happen. When Antiochus Epiphanes rises up to power, He's, he's destructive. Without warning, he does all these things. Daniel sees all that. Gabriel tells him, seal that up. God's people are going to need this in days to come. Verse 27, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. The New American Standard says that Daniel's account of his reaction was, I was exhausted and lay sick for many days. Then I rose up and went about the king's business but I was appalled by this and did not understand. I think one temptation in this, um, in this chapter is to just really jump into to the history of it, the Medes and the Persians and Alexander the Great and the 
the four kingdoms that came after him and just kind of a, a recount of Western civilization uh, history. But um, so hopefully I haven't wasted too much time doing that. But what does it mean to us? What does it mean that Daniel was appalled by what he saw? The New American Standard said he was astounded. Maybe combine the two words that Daniel knows. I think, he, I think by now he's familiar with what Jeremiah has written to the people in, his, in, in, in captivity that will be going back to the promised land after 70 years. And he's like, I'm, I, you know, I'm astounded that I thought this was over. But there's going to be more tribulation and more chaos in the lives of God's people. What does that mean for us? Should we consider that there will never be any chaos or tribulation in our lives? I don't think you can read the Bible very far and not see that in this fallen world there is chaos and, and tribulation and that God's people go through it. But who gave Daniel this vision? God gave it to him. So in this vision, the, the, the prophecy is historic or historical. It's already happened Liberal scholars would say, well, that just proves that Daniel was writing this in the 2nd century B.C., not the 6th century B.C. And that might be the only conclusion that you could reach if you don't believe in God. But if we do believe in God, we know that He is in control. He could show Daniel these things, tell Daniel to seal this up so that my people will know this isn't going to last forever. How long is that going to last? 2,300 evenings and mornings. Is that 2,300 days? Some would say it's 2,300 evening sacrifices and morning sacrifices. I mean, there's a preponderance of evidence and scholars going each, either side. Uh, Gleason Archer a uh, biblical scholar, he says the preponderance of the evidence makes him think it's evenings and morning sacrifices, so it's three and a half years, which is about the time that Antiochus Epiphanes ruled in, or, or ruled and or tormented uh, Israel there during, during his reign of, of terror. That even though there's chaos. God's, God has a sovereign plan. And sometimes that includes suffering of God's people. Peter gave us instructions on that in, in 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 4, 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. 
Peter's kind of taking it, of course, at the time that he's writing and, and, and the persecution that the, the first century saints endured were real and challenging. And maybe we've had too many years of no great tribulation in America, but it seems that those days are coming. Just remember that God is in control. Sometimes His plan involves suffering, but that His redemptive plan will, will not fail. That just as He had victory, gave His Israel victory over Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the Maccabean uh, rebellion there in around 164 BC. We didn't even get to talk about that. That would have been so cool. Okay, so maybe when we go back to class, if that happens August 2nd, maybe we'll just totally revisit Daniel um, in, in, in class there at First Baptist. But that God has a, a plan. God is in control. The prophecies really aren't hard to believe if you believe that there is a true God. Second off, the ones that we've seen that have come have been fulfilled, much like this one that Daniel saw and had 200, 400, 500 years before they actually happened, that if they're true, then all God's Revelations, revelations are true and will come about. In John's Revelation, chapter 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice for the th from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he, and he who was seated on the throne, throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, write these, this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God's Word is trustworthy and true. His revelations are trustworthy and true. Just as, as most of these events that Daniel saw came to pass, those promises that we have from God are, are, are still true. In the midst of suffering and tribulation, we need to be faithful to God and not turn from Him. And He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. That Jesus is gone to prepare a place that we might be with Him always. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, just give us insight and understanding. 
God give us strength and perseverance for tribulations that we might fall, that we may face, that we may remain faithful to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.